Welcome to Take It From Us with host Kent Johns. Real people, real voices, real lives. Discussing mental health, addiction and disability in the community. Your weekly window to the real world. Welcome to Take It From Us. to our program for this week. Please leave us a note, of course, on our Facebook page. Get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we're having more and more people get in touch, which is great. Facebook.com. Us, a busy show today. Just wanted to talk about the Push Play initiative. Uh, Sport New Zealand has relaunched it. We might remember Push Play from many, many years ago with an emphasis on getting out and exercising. Uh, the prescription was sort of around 30 minutes per day. They've, they've done a relaunch with this. And this time around, the emphasis is not on trying to meet a daily target, but actually just to get moving, to do something. So we don't have to think of movement as exercise, as formal exercise practice, which I actually think is is kind of a good move. It's a good idea. This is something that I talk about a lot with the people that I work with. Try and find things that you enjoy. Try and find things that you are likely to repeat. That's how you get on a roll with exercise and movement. Don't see it as a chore. You don't have to go for a run. You don't have to go to the gym. We, We don't have to thrash our bodies to try and get fit. What we have to do collectively as a society is to move more. We have all become more sedentary. So I kind of like that messaging. Um, new research from Sport New Zealand showed an increase in barriers for New Zealanders participating in physical activity in 2021. We know this, of course, because of the COVID pandemic, uh, including a lack of motivation, feeling too unfit to increase participation, losing habits, or actually feeling tired. People, a lot of us just don't have the energy and the want and the desire to move. I know for me personally, if I don't go for four or five walks a week, my mental health suffers. I go backwards. I have brain fog. I'm more irritable. I'm not quite as content. I need to be getting out there moving. But I found this is great for me because I enjoy it. I put a podcast in or listen to some music. I put my shoes on. And on the days that I really don't feel like it, I just tell myself, Kent, you know you will feel better afterwards. So I trust my own experience as opposed to my own feelings at the time. And that's how I get out and do it. And it's, it's worked wonders for me. As far as this uh, little initiative goes, it'll be really intriguing as to whether the messaging has the desired impact. Be really, really intriguing. Uh, Ed Timmings, who's had more than 30 years in the health field and who is himself a triathlete, will join us a little bit later in the program with his thoughts on push play. We'll hear from Vicky Pialiki from One Less Thing. She will talk to us about her mental health first aid course. There will also be an opportunity for you to, to join her free of charge on one of her courses. We'll have details of that shortly as well. Her ambition is to have a mental health first aider in every business in New Zealand. How's that for a tremendous and ambition. Uh, we're looking forward to having a chat with Vicky very soon. But first up on Take It From Us today is Jimmy Hunt. He is the host of the Inside Out Mental Health Podcast. He's a showman. He's a character. He's a carer. He cares for people. He has a passion for helping us to be as happy and as healthy as we can all possibly be. He's a renowned public speaker and is in high demand as you can imagine at this time. Uh, Jimmy joins us on Take It From Us all the way from Mexico. Jimmy, it's so good of you to join us on the program. Thanks for your time. You're living in Mexico these days. How is it that you came to be there? Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty simple in that uh, it's warm over here. I, I really, I'm quite affected by uh, SAD or seasonal affective disorder. I don't like the cold. I don't like the rain. And so Mexico, on the south coast of Mexico, to be precise, uh, it's you know, the coldest it ever gets in the middle of the night in the middle of the winter is about 21 degrees. So uh, 
it's something that I don't have to worry about. And the sunshine hours are more than anything you can imagine. So in terms of in terms of my mental health and the way it makes me feel, this this is a climate for me. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, plus the plus the food's good, the surf's great, uh, it's a very cheap cost of living. Uh, there's lots of positives. Yeah. And and when you're back in New Zealand, do you find yourself comparing the two constantly or you you enjoy it when you're back here? I absolutely enjoy it when I'm back here. I mean, I get I, I come home to New Zealand probably three or four times a year to work, to, to talk to people about mental fitness. And quite often I'll come back in the winter. And it's one of those things that I absolutely don't mind coming back in the winter at all because I know that I don't have to live in it for the entire period. I know that there's an end date to it. And so I actually enjoy getting to put on a sweatshirt or a coat or put up an umbrella. I read a piece that you wrote recently called This Is 40, which I I thought was absolutely brilliant. And you talk in there about, and we'll have a little in-depth look at exactly a lot of the content from from this piece because I think it's important that we do that. But you threw out a question recently to, to people that follow you, what are you struggling with right now? Very broad question. Tell us about the responses you got. Uh, first of all, I'm almost about to turn 42. So this is 40. It was almost two years ago now, and uh, you'll be the one reminding me what I said in that. And same, same, with, same with the struggling question. I do believe I put that out at the start of COVID. And, uh, I mean, if I, if I remember correctly, a, a lot of people, you know, it's a sort of a general uh, a general statement. A lot of people are struggling, uh, whether they can articulate it in this way or not, but they're struggling with coping mechanisms to be able to deal with change. That's really the common denominator for it. It's like, stuff is happening to me. I didn't get to choose this, but I'm not sure how to react to it. Or I am very much reacting to it, and I'm not happy with my reactions. And so basically getting people into a place where they have better perspective, understanding, and reactions to stimulus is a really, really important tool on your mental fitness journey. Hmm. Yeah, and in the, in the piece, you talked about living up to other people's expectations, and we're now constantly comparing ourselves to others, and, and we know that can be particularly detrimental. Yeah, it's probably one of the most detrimental things that you can possibly do, and I mean, it's the whole. It's a. There's a couple of things. There's one is a thing called the hedonic treadmill, which is a term that psychologists use for basically keeping up with the Joneses, right? So every time we make a certain amount of money, we upgrade everything we've got, and then we get stuck in this treadmill of never being happy and being at, always needing that next level. And so one of the there's a really 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 cool. Uh, it was, a, it was a obituary in the New York Times between uh, Charles Bukowski wrote it for Kurt Vonnegut when he died, and he told the story of them being in a billionaire's mansion at a party in, in New York. And they're walking around, and Bukowski says to Vonnegut, he says, look, this guy here makes more money in a day than you have on your entire best-selling book. And he's like, yes but I have something that he doesn't have. He's like, what's that? He said, enough. Right. Right? And so that's that's the question that we need to be asking ourselves. What is enough? And when we're continuously comparing ourselves to others, we will, we will forever be, be able to find that we don't have enough because there's always someone else to compare us to that's got more than us. Or, and even more interestingly, a perceived more than us because I can find you a bunch of millionaires, a bunch of billionaires who have a life that's way worse than you. A bunch of those people who you see and think that they're very, very successful, it's like, cool, but they're on their fourth wife that they're still not happy with. Their kids don't love them and don't ever. And, uh, you know, they spend all of their time in a fight, flight, freeze state just trying to get to the next level. And so when we can figure out what success is, then it's a lot easier to achieve. 
You're so right to point that out because automatically we think, wow, this person's so successful, they've cracked the code. But there's a huge difference between being successful and being happy or, more importantly, being content, isn't there? Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head here. It's a, it's a thing that I use all the time. That happy is an emotion. It's something mm. that is fleeting, whereas contentment is a state of being. And that's what we're really looking for is contentment, right? And so you can find Buddhist monks in complete contentment and all they've got is the robes on their back, right? And then you can find uber-wealthy billionaires who are not even remotely close to content and have every material possession in the world. We don't need to be either of those extremes as just us normal individuals, right? But what we're really looking to do is find that contentment. And the contentment is not usually in the things that we have, but it's more in our perspective and understanding of the things that we have. And how did, was there a moment where you were able to wrap your own mind around that? Was there a moment that you went, yep, and that this applies to me? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still head around that. It's a, it's a process. I can, I still sometimes go, oh, there's a little bit of jealousy of what someone else is doing or someone else has or anything like that. Uh, but the key for me is to go, oh, actually, that's not jealousy, that's envy. Jealousy's not so good, but envy's okay. I can be envious of how hard someone works or the results that someone has got and with, without you know, being jealous and, and having that, that thing eat you up inside. But to answer your question, like, yeah, I wrote about it in my second book, which was, uh, I think it was the end of 2013, I basically had a stellar year, as good a year as you could possibly have in that I built the world's biggest water slide, I released a best-selling book, I opened TEDx Auckland in front of 2,500 people, I fronted a national ad campaign where I got to do the coolest stuff in the country, uh, and uh, I was a finalist for New Zealand Innovator of the Year for the slide design because it hadn't been done before, and I was a finalist for New Zealander of the Year for my work in mental health. And at the end of that year, I was like, this sucks, I'm angry, and I'm not, I'm not happy. Uh, because the, the water slide didn't raise enough money, uh, the product died, and I didn't win either of those uh, awards. So like, I had a really bad year in my head, which is ridiculous when you, when you look at it. And so that was a big wake-up call for me going, hey, if you're going to do all these things and achieve all of these things and you're still not going to be happy, then you can't keep chasing that achievement goal, that outward uh, journey try and find the inner peace. The only way you can is to go inwards. And that's when I flipped my efforts around to go inwards and that's when my life changed. Which kind of begs the question then, given that example you've just given us of, of having those things where you could actually measure your success, how should we be measuring our success if we, we don't want to put our success attached to those outcomes that you talked about? If we're not outcome-driven, how do we measure that we're doing all right? We can be outcome-driven, but the outcomes just need to be different. We, when we measure success in the world, we basically use two metrics, and that is power and money. But I, for one, don't think that is the greatest definition of success, right? And so if we, one of the, the first things you can do, and you can go do this for free on websites all around the world, is if you go type in core values, you can go find websites that'll ask you a whole bunch of questions to help define what really drives you internally as a person. And so when you can go and figure out your core values, then you have a much, much better chance at being able to direct your life towards the success that matters. And so, you know, for example, my, my core values lie around things like wisdom and understanding but also helping people. That's a, it's a massive driver for me, right? And so if you just look at those couple of things there, it's like, am I helping people by being wise? Like, yes, that's, that's my job. That's, that's what I do. And so to me, massively successful. I'm massively successful. I mean, in terms of material possessions, I would have less than you and I would have less than most people. 
and no longer does the car that I drive or the you know the Instagram lifestyle that people try and portray no longer does that drive my definition of happiness. Back to the the piece you wrote about turning forty, which was obviously now a couple of years ago. That was one of the themes that you'd spoke about. Was that people we are we constantly measuring ourselves against others, and there are better ways in which to do that. Have you found in the last little while that more and more people are starting to come around to that way of thinking, given? the constraints that we've had with COVID, given that our lives have been changed and that people are wanting to slow things down and and take stock of where they're at? Yeah, I mean, so literally since I wrote that piece, we've had a worldwide pandemic. And I think that, I mean, that was horrible for much of the planet. But if we're going to take positives out of it, I think we're definitely seeing uh, an introspection one had ever introspected before, right? Because... As a human race, we are very outward. We are very external goal orientated and we're always pushing, 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 pushing. And so to have something force us to sit still for a few minutes, really, I mean, first of all, it messed a bunch of people up. Being asked to stop really exposed a lot of people's insides to the inadequacies of, of where they were because they'd covered up those inadequacies with all of the external things that they were doing. And so it forced more introspection than anything that's ever happened in my lifetime. So that's that's a positive. And out of that, we've seen people reevaluate their priorities. For example, the amount of time that people got to spend with their children massively skyrocketed. And they went, oh, hold on a second. That is a core value of mine, being able to actively my children. And so that, that then drives decisions like remote work or four-day work week and things like that off the back of it, right? Or at least coming home at five, at five or six o'clock rather than staying till seven. And so we've seen a lot of re-evaluations from people about what really is important. Mm. Take it from us. Uh, we are talking with Jimmy Hunt today. You can find him online, jimmyhunt.com, J-I-M-I hunt.com. You've got the book about, ins- well, you've got the book called Inside Out, which I wanted to talk to you about as well. And mental health is going trending in a, in a horrible direction, let's be honest, right around the world. And I know here in New Zealand, this is something that we talk about every single week, Jimmy, that we just, we don't have the the coping tools that we would like. We could always do better in this particular area and people are trying very, very hard to do so. But one thing, you kind of changed the, the conversation a little bit by talking about the mental fitness continuum, which I'm fascinated by as a, as a term. Can you tell us about what that is for you and how you educate people on being on the continuum and getting us to move up and down on it? Yeah, well, I mean, it's a bit of a trick of rebranding, right? Because words have meanings. And the term mental health has been absolutely shunned for a long, long time. And so we have very negative connotations. I can ask, the, I can ask a room full of people, do you, how many people here have mental health? And, you know, half of them will put their hands up, right? And so we have this disconnect about actually opting in to that term and then doing anything about it because it's very binary. Traditionally, we've either been mentally ill or we've been mentally well. You're one of those two things. And so it's very much, I'm mentally well, I don't need to do anything. I'm mentally ill, oh shit, I should probably do something, right? And so this is uh, where the rebranding comes in is that it's not binary. It's not on or off. It's a continuum. And the thing that it absolutely is synonymous with is the term fitness. Because just like we have physical fitness, that we, you know, we inherently understand physical fitness, right? That we put in small efforts daily, consistently over time, we get fitter, we have all of these benefits. And if we do nothing about it, then we will slowly get more and more unfit and have all of these problems. Well, mental fitness works exactly the same way. The problem is when people end up in the bottom end of the continuum or mentally ill or mentally unwell, 
they're then looking for solutions. And so you can give them a solution, but they don't understand that solution. They haven't practiced that solution. And so therefore they can't apply it. Whereas if they had used it over time for even medium length periods, they would, one, probably have been able to mitigate that before it got to that stage. Two, at least be competent in using the techniques when they actually have that. And the biggest and best analogy is that um, a term like resilience is really good. Um, it's about get, being able to get punched and get back up again. And so we want to be able to get back up. We want to be able to keep getting back up every time we get punched. But I don't know about you, but I get sick of getting punched. And so that's what mental fitness is. Mental fitness is being you know, fit enough. It's about being having that perspective, understanding to be able to see those punches coming, duck them, slip them, have them miss, so that we're not getting hit because we can see what's coming towards us. So what are the things that you do on a, on a daily basis as part of your mental health routine so that you are as good as you can be towards the top end of the continuum? Now, when I talk about actual tools, there are some that are absolutely universal and everybody should use them, but then there's a whole bunch that are absolutely up for debate in terms of not their efficacy, but of whether you should use them or not. For example, do you do yoga, Ken? No, I do not. No, neither do I, and I don't want to. But it has absolutely clinical, brilliant uh, results that we've seen that can help people release trauma. It helps people uh, learn to be uh, in the now. It's got a whole bunch of fantastic things. Not for me, right? And so it's about being able to pick and choose the ones that are for us and use them and use them continually over time. The answer to your question, uh, meditation, journaling, saltwater therapy, going for swims at the beach, social connection is a, is a really big one for me. Uh, intimacy with my partner is a big one to be able to feel like we're together. And, you know, there's just a whole host and, again, scientific benefits for, for a bunch of them. But the key for any person listening is that you absolutely have to go out and find the ones that work for you. And if they don't work for you, cool, just put it down, go try something else. Don't stop there. Oh, it didn't work for me. Yeah, cool, go find something else. And I'll tell you what, maybe in a year or two or five, you might end up coming back to that one that didn't work for you and it's suddenly a game changer for you then. And would it be fair to, to say too that all of the activities and, and the tools that you just spoke of there are ones that you enjoy and that you would probably look forward to be doing most of the yeah, time? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Well, yes and no. Some of, the, some of them you might not, but after having practiced them for a little bit, you absolutely see the benefits of using them. And therefore, you know that if you don't get over the uncomfortableness of using it, then uh, you're not going to get those benefits. A good one that I can't use here because the water's too warm that we can use as an example is cold water therapy. I haven't met anyone that likes it. No one likes it. No one likes getting in really, really cold water, having a cold shower, ice bath. No one likes it. But they do it to get outside of their comfort zone, and getting outside of that comfort zone brings all these sorts of not only psychological rewards but physiological rewards in that regard. And so it's a process that they do because it shows these psychological and physiological benefits, even though it's not something that they enjoy yeah, funny you should mention that. I went for a cold water swim last week, and after two minutes of of it was awful torture, I actually relaxed and quite enjoyed it. it by the and, and enjoy might be a stretch, Jimmy, but I know what you're saying. That afterwards, and I felt great for the rest of the day. I really did, and I was only in the water for maybe ten or twelve minutes. No, so I can speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. But one of the things we've got to understand is that none of these processes are magic pills. That's the really big thing. There is no magic pill that is going to make you mentally fitter. Just like there's no magic pill that will make you physically fitter. And so it's not, hey, go for a cold swim, 
your life's going to be good, right? It's, it's a practice that we need to use over a period of time in order to do things like change our neural pathways, to do things like change our physiological makeup. And when we do it over that time, we start to see the application of benefits, which is uh, called the aggregation of marginal gains. Gains on gains on gains on gains on gains. And that's when we start seeing these massive changes. Yeah, I, I call that, that racking up the little wins. Just keep stacking them up, man, and you can add, you can get 10, 12, 15 a day just, yeah, just by, by taking note of them, eh? Yeah, well, they don't just add up. They are exponential. So they, they like, you're not just adding one on top of another. When you add one, you, you're timesing the whole by that. And when that hole gets bigger and you add another one to the hole, it gets exponentially better and far. Mm. How about constant conscious choices? Is this kind of what we were just mentioning there? Is that the phrase that you use, constant conscious choices, creating that environment that you've got a greater control of? Yeah, well, I mean, I use, I basically took the whole science of neuroplasticity and I distilled it down to what I call the three C's which are constant conscious choices. And so that's a, that's a big thing to distill down. But basically, in its simplest form, like we have neural pathways in our head. And basically, the stronger the neural pathway, the more likely that is your default habit. And so if we want to create a new habit, or we need to create a new pathway. And in order to create a new pathway, we need to be making constant conscious choices. And, I mean, there's a whole breakdown in my book about how this, this works and everything. But basically, if you take away any of those C's, it all forms apart. If you're making conscious choices, but you're not doing it all the time, waste of time. If you're constantly making unconscious choices, that's what we're doing right now. And that is what is keeping us exactly where, where we are. And if you are constantly of everything, but you're not making choices, then you are absolutely uh, frozen in place. And so that simple thing is is basically the habit changing mantra so how do you that constantly making conscious choices for some people they might perceive that as being quite quite hard or very challenging because it just doesn't stop it's relentless how do you how do you get across the message that hey this is going to serve you really well if you can buy into it yeah, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? And so that's that's what this is. It's, it's, it's picking like one trait or one habit that you would like to change and then working on being conscious of that consistently over time and making different choices each time, right? And so let's just say, we'll go back to the cold water therapy. Let's just say that's, that's something that you want to do, right? You've got to start putting things in place to be able to make that conscious, because if you're not conscious of it, very soon you'll forget about it and you just won't do it. But you can do simple things like find a buddy to do it with, right? Have an accountability partner. You can do things like put alarms in your phone. One of my favorite things is to make my lock screen, whatever I'm working on right now. So every time I open my phone, I have to see what I'm working on. You can put post-it notes on your car dashboard or on your fridge. Uh, in terms of in terms of the actual psychological studies and tips and tricks around this, uh, better than the one minute summary I've got here. There's a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear that's really fantastic and laying out a lot of these ways that we can start making constant because that's where most people fall down. What are you most optimistic about, Jimmy? In the short term for you? Uh, my aggregation of marginal gains. I've been doing this for a, a while now and just chipping away at it small bits at a time. And I'm now at a place where I can just see the limitless potential that I have created for myself, which I never had before. I was, I mean, the listeners don't know, but a whole bunch of my story right at the start is severe depression, suicidal ideations, and all sorts of things like that. And to look back to where I've come from, to where I am now, all I see is limitless potential. And that's not because I did anything magic. It's because I chipped away day by day. Jimmy Hunt, on Take It From Us, love that last message that he gave us. Just chip away. Chip away. Uh, it does make a huge difference. He was great, wasn't he, Jimmy? You can check out his website, uh, jimmyhunt.com. That's J-I-M-I, hunt.com. His blog about turning 40 
tremendous. It certainly resonated with me, having been a 40-year-old man a few years ago now. Joining us now on Take It From Us, we've got Vicky Pialiki from onelessthing.co.nz. She's going to talk to us about her mental health first aid course. Uh, she has an ambition. She has a goal in, in life, and that is to have a mental health first aider in every business in New Zealand. Uh, Vicky, it's really good of you to join us today on Take It From Us. Welcome into the program. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate your time and the fact that um, you're putting so much work into mental wellness. How did you, what made you want to become a mental health first aid instructor? Uh, so um, I guess I've been gifted uh, with 25 years working in the banking sector. Um, I um, moved uh, from Australia and was able to um, move to the UK and then transfer to New Zealand. And at the age of, uh, ripe old age of um, 36, I I met a, a Kiwi, a Nuean man, and, um, and we got married and, and had children. And late in life, um, I uh, came down with postnatal depression. So a bit of a journey from the banking sector um, into the wellness sector um, with, a, uh, with a recovery and seeing the right people at the right time. I educated myself and I was able to work for Counties Manukau and they offered me a role as a mental health first aid facilitator which um, I took on board and, and um, four years later uh, I'm now facilitating mental health first aid. Can you describe the difference in the nature of the work or what you are seeing in our community now as opposed to four years ago? Is there a marked difference at all? Oh, absolutely. I'm so proud um, to be um, part of a culture that and a country that is trying to get rid of the stigma of mental health first aid. Um, the, the banking sector was um, about making money and um, being able to completely move into the wellness sector. We're able to um, provide hope uh, for people. Uh, I kind of found my niche. <laughs> I was having a look at some of the suicide rates in New Zealand and yeah. some of the latest research, as, as best we know, that I know that you're familiar with. And our suicide rate is appallingly bad for young people ages 15 to 19 compared to the likes of Australia, the UK, Ireland, the US, Canada, France. They have much, per capita, I think we're around 15 people per 100,000, which is far and away worse than all of those countries I've just listed. Can you get a handle on why that might be the case? Yes, really interesting question and one that we actually ask ourselves in the mental health sector. Um, New Zealand, beg my pardon, it's the dog barking in the background. Um, New Zealand has a very unique culture. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to, uh, I've done a bit of travelling in my time and I think um, New Zealand is well and truly blessed um, in that um, I personally identify with a um, Pacific Island, but also a blended Māori family. And um, I think that in New Zealand, we do mix culture exceptionally well. But coming from um, an Australian culture and being Pākehā white, I have definitely married into a blended home where I see um, discrimination, 100% discrimination. And I, I can put my hand on my heart and say that it's not right and this uh, opportunity of mental health first aid and the workshop is all about killing that discrimination whether it be racist whether it be uh, cultural whether it be sexual and it's about identifying people's well-being well-being is the number one top of the priority which should be um, at the moment um, our world after COVID and that we've all been knocked away and taken away from the ability to network and come together as whānau culturally that's very difficult for us in New Zealand. You'd think though that all of those other countries that I just mentioned would be having the same sort of issues as far as discrimination, we know that people in 
Australia feel discriminated against. So I, is it just a number that we might always struggle to get our heads around that our suicide rate in New Zealand is that much worse than everybody else's? Yeah, look, I absolutely hear you. Um, that number, I think, last offhand was 664. Um, don't quote me on that number. But mm. um, I, too, it's a number that's far too high. I can't give you the explanation as to why it is. All I know is I've gone about finding a tool that can help. So rather than finding out the why is this happening, let's come together and work at a tool that we know that can reduce suicide. And with the Mental Health First Aid Workshop that's now been recently updated by TAPO, we give you the signs and symptoms as to why a person might be thinking about suicide. And then from there, we take it upon ourselves to do early intervention. I don't know why the numbers are so high in New Zealand, but I know that we have things into place that can stop suicide and it starts with early intervention and it starts with the family and it starts with being connected. Tell us about LG. A-L-G-E-E and what that means. Awesome, Ken. I love the fact that you've made an attempt with that. We try to say algae or algae or as South Auckland, we put a bit of slang on it and go algae. So... Right. <laughs> just like doctors ABC, if anybody out there has their... Um, uh, first aid certificate and I know that there's many organisations that um, have their first aid certificate mental health first aid was first established in year 2000 and the concept of mental health first aid just like first aid you have doctors ABC with mental health first aid we have an acronym which is A-L-G-E-E and what that stands for and that's the whole concept of the workshop is we get you to come along and learn the acronyms of how to identify the signs and symptoms of depression, anxiety, psychosis and substance misuse and it's amazing how you have people that come along and have never heard of the concept of anxiety. They know that they get butterflies in their stomach when they go for a job interview, but they've never identified that it is anxiety. And these are the type of things we teach when we're talking first aid workshop. Mm. If we look through them individually, A is to approach, assess and assist any crisis. G is to give support and information. And and the two E's are to encourage professional help, but to encourage other supports as well. I, I look at L as being perhaps the key one there because that is to listen and communicate without judgment. That is not an easy skill for most people. (laughs) Love it. I love that you pinpointed that because often there's a trigger as to why people can't listen non-judgmentally. You know, perhaps Mm. you've been raised in a home where there's lots of alcohol and there's some trauma there for you. It would be quite reasonable and... um, for you to be able to uh, find a person that perhaps is in a crisis in the street and it may be as a result of drinking too much, you may not be the right person to address that first aid situation. It may be another person that's able to address that situation. So we only ever teach you to do as far as what you can do and always know that there'll be somebody else there that if you can't pick up the pieces. But an ideal goal of this algae concept is to have one person from every home. Imagine if we had one person from every home within New Zealand that would understand the algae approach and know step two, listen and communicate non-judgmentally. What a beautiful world we'd live in. And I know listening is a skill that can be improved on, despite what people think. You can get better as a listener if you've got the tools to know how to do so. But often we want to jump in and fix the problem, solve it. We take on board all of this pressure to try and help the person by solving the problem. But are we thinking that in a number of cases they just need to be heard and and maybe sitting there and, and saying nothing is actually okay because you're listening to them? 
Absolutely, Ken. I think that um, people just want somebody to be there sometimes and hold their hand and not say a word. And this is what we're teaching with algae. We're teaching people just to be present, early intervention, be present. And if you don't know what to say, then 1737 is the number that you can sit there and be present with that person and they can phone them if they need a professional to speak to. Vicky, what does it mean to you to be in the role that you're in, in doing what you're doing? (laughs) I have the best job in the world, thanks, Kent. Um, You know, I'm able to deliver a message of hope to people through the mental health first aid workshops. Um, And I um, go in and when I ask people um, a question of what do you know of mental wellness and what do you know of depression and, um, you know, initially they're all a bit scared to put their hand up but toward the end of the workshop we all learn from one another and somebody has shared a story and somebody else has learnt from that story. We're not a counselling session, we're not clinicians, we're not professional doctors but we are here to teach people how to be a mental health first aider and what that means is you don't need to leave it up to somebody else to step into a crisis you have been taught the correct steps algae with the steps of algae that gives you a stepping stone opportunity to go up to somebody and say are you okay it's okay to ask somebody if they're okay I love what I do, Kent, and I've been blessed with this um, niche of what I'm able to do. And I did a workshop last week, and the fellow at the end of the workshop said to me, knowing now what I know after the first attempt of taking his life, I may be able to step in. It took three attempts for him. You know, that's a really powerful statement Mm. to hear at the end of a day's work and knowing that somebody took something from that. Mm. Well, look, we, you know, admire what you're doing and and thanks so much for doing what you're doing to help our people and all the very best, Vicky. Please keep in touch and we wish you well. Yeah, Ken, I appreciate the time and, and the fact that the work that you do, that you do as well, it's about taking away stigma and um, just letting people know that um, you can be there to help somebody. Appreciate your time, Kent. Vicky Pialiki on Take It From Us. You can check out her website, onelessthing.co.nz. And, and Vicky's really generous. She's given us a ticket for a person to, to shoot along and become a mental health first aid accredited first aider, free of charge. Uh, it's on Monday the 13th and Monday the 20th of June. If that sounds like you, if that sounds like something that you would be interested in and you would like to become a mental health first data and work alongside Vicky, check out the details of how you can do that on our Facebook page, facebook.com. Take it from us. Uh, all of the details that you will need will be there. It's time now for a song. Here's Herbs on Take It From Us.
take it from us. Hands up, who remembers the push play campaign from the 2000s? It was kind of catchy. Well, it's back. Uh, Sport New Zealand has relaunched the push play campaign. Uh, this from Raylan Castle, the chief executive of Sport New Zealand. For a lot of people, it will bring back some really great memories of people in the days gone by in the messaging and the tune. Messaging's a little bit different. It'll be interesting, though, to see whether it lands well and what kind of an impact that some of the new messaging around this will have. The perfect guy to talk about this and to give us his views is a man called Ed Timmings. Uh, you can check out his website, juggler.co.nz, Ideas for Living Better Lives. Uh, Ed has worked in the medical fraternity now for over two decades. He is the lead mental health coach for a company called Precure. He's worked with high-performance athletes for many years and himself a triathlete. I know Ed. And he is very, very active. He's a fit guy and he's a passionate guy and he's the right person to talk to us today on Take It From Us about how this new program might land and whether the messaging is going to be bang on. Ed, it's always nice to catch up with you, man. Thanks for joining us on the program today. How are you? Mate, I am fantastic. Living the dream down in TR now. You, you're, you're one of life's optimists. You've always got a smile on your face. You're a, you're a happy-go-lucky sort of a bloke. Before we talk about this push-play um, sort of initiative, what is it that you do to stay fit and to stay active and, and to look after your brain as well as your body? Oh, look, it's um, it's a big one, eh? Because we know how much the brain takes energy. So if you want to look after your body, look after your brain, first of all. You know, it burns 20 to 40% of the fuel that you give it. So you've got to get your brain learning. You've got to learn new stuff. And and I think the biggest thing, and it's the same with the exercise, it's the same with anything, learn stuff that you want to learn. Get creative. Think of new things. You know, do new bike courses, do new swims. Go exercising, doing new games with new people. You know, be creative the whole time. Hmm. So the, the, the message now with, with the push-play campaign, do, do you like the kind of changing and maybe the, the frame of reference with it? Do you think they're pitching it right? Well, look, look I do. I, I do. I think the, what we're trying to tell people is do anything. Just get out and move, you know. But that that is wonderful, but it needs a lot more drivers behind it. And I hope they don't just do it half ass and go, oh, look, we're going to spread the word to go and move, but not go, you know, who's going to help these people move? Who's going to make them accountable? Why would they want to move? You know, what what is going on with your life? You know, when are you a type 2 diabetic? Because that's quite a good reason to move. Mm. Uh, who are you moving with? You know, who inspires you? you know, who, who are you going to get to go exercising with you, make you accountable? You know, in, uh, in Europe, especially in France, they have mayors in every city. And what these mayors do is their job is to help the community do stuff and get things across the line and, and go and find out who's really struggling and visit them. And encounter. We don't have mayors, so we leave people isolated. And so it's all very well to go push play, but you know who's going to go and do push play? The top 10%. So we're going to get the bottom 10% mm. and the 80% in between. Now that means they're going to have to be just a little bit more creative than just going... Let's push pay. Mm, there's a lot of thought there. Have you, a lot to think about, a lot to take in. Have you thought about how it would look, ideally? Yeah, look, I, I do. I would like to see us get at every, you know, what happens in communities around New Zealand is, and, and I'm going to be blunt and say this is what's happened, because it's sad, is people who are on the rise leave their communities because there's nothing there for them, uh, you know, academically, and so they leave their little community head up north. But what they've got scattered throughout the community are these lovely people who used to be PE teachers at school, used to be in the army, you know, who disciplined, understand good health, understand people, and we need to get a hold of those characters throughout New Zealand to make push, play, effective, and work consistently. That's what I think. So we need to have a lot of thought into it and to throw some money into because the more money you throw into push play, the more people aren't going to be going through the hospital system and the more money you're going to save. So don't see it as a crap investment. Government, keep spending money. It's a yeah. good investment. That's, and that's the, the, the difference in mindset between, oh, what's it going to cost as opposed to, hey, what are we investing and what are the returns going to be? 
Yeah, absolutely. The returns are going to be fantastic, especially now. We know what physical exercise does to mental health, and we are in a problem with mental health. You know, mental health, two-thirds of people with mental health problems do not seek help, and those who do seek help generally take 10 years. And when they do seek help, one of the biggest things we're going to do is get them to meet people, talk to people, and move. That's what push players. Mm. You know, we're kind of doing it before we need it. Brilliant. So, Ed, we know with the latest research from Sport New Zealand that Kiwis New Zealanders feel like participating in physical activities become too hard. Obviously, with COVID, motivation is low. People's energy levels are low. So it kind of makes sense that people think, I don't have the energy to exercise. What if they were to flip it around and actually get out and do something? What would happen to their energy levels? Oh, look, that's the, that's the biggest thing of all. You've nailed it straight away. What we've got to do is we've got to tell people that walking to the letterbox is a good start. Reward yourself. Well done. And then the next day, walk to the shops. You know, don't do. One of the things, Ken, that I struggle with is I look at um, middle aged men and they go and they join a gym class and they they ham themselves. They go hard and they come out and, and they get tired and they fatigue and they, their form is crap when they're fatigued and and they get injured and they, they, they kind of drop out after a while because, you know, it's not the appropriate exercise for a middle aged man. We just want them simply to move better, do random stuff like you do in a garden, and enjoy it so you go back the next day. So let's get back right back to step one, that person who hasn't done any exercise. We need to make sure they feel good about doing it. We need to make sure it doesn't damage them. And we need to make sure they have some communication with another human being that's going to support them to do it again tomorrow. So pick, pick activities that you might enjoy, that there's a likelihood you will enjoy, and therefore it can become sustainable, you're likely to keep doing it. Is that the message? That is 100% the message, yeah. Look at fun. I think they should, I've always been a great believer in push fun. That, that probably goes better than push play. Oh, I, I guess play has seemed to be fun, isn't it? Yeah, but I've, I've been pushing fun for years, you know. Uh, fun people do exercise. They don't have mental health issues. They don't get sick. Push fun is everything. Push play, though, is a great start. Look, it's, a, it's an initiative we've all got to get behind, but I just hope they don't just stop with saying we've created something. There's a lot of groundwork that needs to go into it from here on. Get some of those characters in the communities, those uh, people who have been there and done that, link them up, join them in. New Zealand is in trouble. We have the biggest, you know, youth suicide. We are overweight right across the board. Our hospital system hasn't improved over the last five years, so we cannot cope with any, you know, if, with things go wrong. But stop moaning. Let's start. This is a great start, and I want all of New Zealand to get behind it. What about the question of why? For, for everyday people, and, and it just, just me as an individual or Ed, yourself as an individual, the question of why am I doing this? Why do I want to get fit? Why is it important that I am healthy? Is that a question that not enough of us ask ourselves? Yeah, how are you? We, you don't do anything without purpose. Why mm. is your purpose? Why am I doing this? And, you know, if you've got, uh, you know, and we don't have, we don't have honest conversations, Ken. Um, if you've got a waist of 100 centimetres, you are a type 2 diabetic. I know you go, oh, look, I, my doc said I was nearly type 2. No, you are a type 2 diabetic. You know, you, you need to do something about it. Um, if you are overweight and you've got a sore knee, if you lost 10% of your body weight, you'll decrease 50% of that knee pain. You know, we have to have honest, honest conversations. We're not doing that well anymore as a society. You know, that fresh, clean, clean green, kiwi people, we're, we're not. So we've got to start again. You know, you, you look at a rugby test, and I've always looked at um, the Welsh play, you know, and they're freaking pasty old red-eyed and the Irish, and you know, they've got their slightly bulging sweaters on, and then you have the English, you know, they're looking kind of angry about everything. And the Kiwis used to look fantastic, but we don't now. You know, we're kind of falling apart a little bit. And then they look at the French crowd. Well, they're all highly... You know, they're looking good, they're fit, yes. classy, you know. Um, 
those little things, those little visuals we see, they're a sign that we're not actually doing as well as we think we are, and we're not in New Zealand. We just are not. Our old people aren't moving because they're lonely. You know, every other country connects kindies to old people. You know, how many old people are sitting around kindies reading stories to children? This is push play. Give them a reason. Give them some exercise to do. Yeah, Tai Chi, Chi Gong, what are they? They're doing simple exercises with the eyes shut so you learn about balance. You know, why don't we have Tai Chi in every park around New Zealand? There's so many things we can do that are cheap, but we've, we've got to keep doing them. Look, brilliant push blade, this is the start. But we've got to answer a few whys. Why? Because most of you actually have to. Let's be honest. Let's get some medical truth out there. Mm. You're not doing well. Not sleeping eight hours is a really bad sign for your health. You know, you aren't going to be dealing with cancer cells aren't produced unless you get a good night's sleep. You know, the science is telling us things we never knew anymore, mental health. There's all these reasons why we must move and exercise more, but we've got to make sure this isn't a one-hit wonder. We've got to drive it on and on and on, get the community involved, get people involved, have honest answers. We've got these beautiful places, get outside, get exercises going, outdoors in green space, not in friggin' gyms all the time. You know, let's get the whole of New Zealand moving. Dr. Ed Timmings on Take It From Us. The passion, the enthusiasm, the zest is what we need. Good for him. So every week on the program, we have our special Sheldon shout-out in honour of the previous host of this program, Sheldon Brown. Karen does a tremendous job of compiling these for us every week, and thanks for you for sending us some nominations via the Facebook page. Karen, today's shout-out has a very special meaning for you. Yes, uh, Kent. Yeah, I just wanted to give a shout-out to my brother. Bryce was 51 years old. He's my youngest brother. He lived alone in a beautiful little settlement on the coast of Horofanua. He loved fishing, boats. He could talk your ear off about fishing. He never never stopped once you got him started on fishing. He was artistic. He was creative. He also had schizophrenia. He also had issues with alcohol and drugs as a younger man. Bryce died a couple of weeks ago, so... I am going to Wellington today to um, to say farewell mm. to my brother, and we will miss him. Mm. Yeah, and, and he won't be forgotten. And, and thanks for sharing that, Karen, and our best thoughts with yourself and for your family, and, and thanks for those lovely words about Bryce. Thank you. And, and, and hope it goes well this week. Thanks. Uh, that is our program uh, for this week. Take it from us. Please look after yourselves. Please look after each other. Let's take care of ourselves. Special uh, thanks to Karen, who, who's done a tremendous job producing the program and for talking about her brother. Uh, we'll also wanted to say thanks to Jimmy Hunt, to Vicky Pileki, and for Ed Timmings as well for joining our program. We will see you again next week. You've been listening to Take It From Us with host Kent Johns, produced by Karen Murphy, executive producer Andrew Dewhurst, made with the real stories and voices from our community. And for that, we thank you. For more information on anything you've heard on today's show or for direction on where to seek further advice or assistance, visit our Facebook page, Take It From Us. Scott,